the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2 on this Wednesday. We do so as we always do with David Schweikert, our congressman representing Arizona Congressional District 6. David, how are you, sir? Very well, very well. And if you don't have a place to go for Thanksgiving, um, my family is a lot of fun. They're insane, and you're invited to the house. I was going to ask you what you guys are doing uh, for Thanksgiving, if you have any interesting traditions. I guess you will have an extra chair at your table that's a high chair this year, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe I, it's almost five months. Yeah. Um, and, and he's hit teething. Yeah. And teething is a lot of fun. Power yeah. drooling and a lot of crying. <laughs> Do you have any unique uh, uh, traditions or in your own family or in your own customs that uh, that you'd like to share, or is it fairly standard over oh, there? No, it, it's fairly standard. There is, I mean, um, mother was from Baton Rouge. Ah. So... So, like, when we do, like, if you do a roast, there's rice. If you do Thanksgiving, there's rice. Uh-huh. Um, you know, some people think potatoes, um, for us, it's always rice, because <laughs> she being from Baton Rouge. The other thing is, um, there is a really interesting cultural thing. Um, our family, everyone ends up in the kitchen, and everyone thinks they're helping. <laughs> so oh, this family member spicing it more. This one comes in spices it more. It, the food becomes communal. Uh-huh. And if you've ever been in certain culture houses, um, you know, I've been with some Italian families for family meals, and grandma is cooking, and heaven forbid anyone touch it or try to, you know, suggest seasoning. I get it. it yeah, it is right. what it is. Right. And so our our food chaos, but that's actually we have a household of foodies. So everyone thinks they're a food expert. You're obviously in politics. How political is your Thanksgiving dinner How or discussion around the table? One of the greatest gifts the dear Lord ever gave anyone. My family is politically with me. Uh-huh. Um, I don't it makes it have, easier, yeah. I mean, I have a couple of nieces that um, are a little bit into the woke and when you walk them through it, they just sort of stare at you like, well, I, you know. <laughs> yeah. But um, most of the family is actually really, um, really smart and sort of gets it. So do they not uh, really they, even talk politics just because it's not, it's, it's not something that... Yeah, yeah, there's no controversy. See, that's what's so damn interesting to me. I bet that's true of most conservative households. Politics won't come up. I don't know if you saw this today. This this is annoying to me, and if you don't, you'll pick up on what I'm putting down here. Uh, you know who Ron Klain is. You probably know him pretty for years. I, I've, I used to know him when I was in D.C. He's the chief of staff to uh, Joe Biden. And he put out a list of talking points for the Thanksgiving dinner table today on Twitter. He says, here are some talking points when that uncle, in quotes, comes at you, in quotes, about the president of the United States. And it's titled President Biden's Top Accomplishments. They they just cannot 
they, they cannot find one zone free of politics, and they think that it's a good idea, A, to insult people that, you know, when we come at you, but also that, you know, President Biden's accomplishments are so great that uh, they need a list of talking points for you to have on your Thanksgiving table. It's it's an odd but, thing to me, David. You, no, no, but you, you, you hit the point there. Um, you, know, you and I both had liberal we we'll call them friends, acquaintances. A bunch, yeah. And, I have a bunch, I should say, yeah. And they view the, everything's political. Yep. They view the spaghetti sauce they buy politically. <laughs> yeah, they view the do. car they You're drive right. politically. You're they right. view the neighborhood. You're they right. view the clothes. They yeah. view their friends. Yeah. You know, you get to be the token conservative. Even the grocery store. But You're right. You're every, right about that. Everything yeah. is kind of a, When you're with conservatives, do they view everything from political ends? It's a car. It's a spaghetti sauce. Yeah. It, it just is what it is. It's not deemed through a political lens. Um, that's also one of the things that makes the folks on the left insane, but it's also what makes them good at politics. They really do see every moving part in our society through a lens of gaining power because it's political. I was talking to maybe I did this with you once before. I don't know if it if I did. It's been a while and maybe worth repeating as long as we're on the topic. A law professor uh, over at UPenn who got into some controversy because she was speaking common sense and the students wanted her fired. Her name was Amy Wax. And um, she once said that um, a conservative walks into a room they do not know. Um, the last thing they do is raise politics because. For one, they assume the room is not with them. A liberal leftist walks into a room they do not know. They're happy to start and initiate a con- politics, assuming the room is. I think that's a pretty sociological, tr- sociologically true observation, generally speaking. Yeah, I, I believe um, the good professor may be missing a point. Oh, good. Um, yeah. And you and I t- touched on this. Yeah. So let, let's sort of once again, and for everyone listening, um, this actually even sort of ties into the election we just went through. Good. Um, lots and lots and lots of studies. Pew did this huge research. Why did someone become an activist? Oh, okay. you know, Years ago, why did someone become a Tea Party activist? Okay. Why did they become a recent commitment? If you're on the conservative side, it's because you wanted to have a voice. Okay. You, you, you wanted to share. You had things of value you thought needed to be shared. Okay. You 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 were you felt disaffected. You wanted a voice. People on the left get involved in MoveOn.org or Democrat Precinct Committeemen substantially because they hate us. Yeah, very yeah. and it's uncomfortable, but that, yeah. that's what it said. Yeah, is they truly hate conservatives. They feel conservatives try to restrain their vision of, of utopia or whatever it is where our folks just want to voice. Yeah. But it also explains why we have such different motivations during the election cycle. Um, our folks want to share, want to talk, you know, want to have almost social gatherings with people that are like-minded, and Democrats want to destroy Republicans. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. have a very different motivation. They fixate on winning. Our folks just uh, fixate on having a voice. Take that into your example of walking in the room. Right. If you first assume everyone's already with you, and then once you find the one it's not, they must be cut from the herd. Yep. You will humiliate them. You'll destroy them. You'll try to disenfranchise them. You'll try to get them fired. And you actually look at the pattern in society. 
How often do you hear Republicans launching a boycott or walking out of a classroom because someone Or trying to cancel and shut and silence and censor someone, right? That's not our gig. And and, and it's because we're on the flip side. We want people to listen to us. Right. You know, because we're busy listening to them. It's a very different life rhythm. Can I add a co- can I connect a further dot on that, David? As long as oh, we're please, expanding on please. this, um, we've already lost the audience because we're filling. Oh, I don't know. Them, about but that. I don't know. I don't know about that. You got reelected. I'm doing pretty well over here. I think we're okay. Um, David, let me add a connected dot to that. The dangers of censorship are not just in and of the censorship itself or the cancellation of itself, which is what we would call a malum and say it is a bad thing in and of itself. But look at what it leads to. Look at all this stuff. A lot of people are for the first time learning about COVID that could have been so avoided and so much destruction have been avoided had they allowed the great Barrington types or the kinds of things I was saying and you were saying to just let it play in the atmosphere of discussion and science and knowledge and public health rather than shut out and shut down a science denial. Because it turns out on the balance, probably on a balance of 70-30 or 80-20 or maybe even 90-10, those that were shut down and shut up were more right than those that weren't. Um, Look, there's some actually rather geeky literature on the concept of intellectual ghettos. Yep. Where you end up, um, people now go, they read publications that tell them what they already want to know. Or what they all. Yeah, yeah, the confirmation, self reinforcing, confirmation bias, and all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, reaffirmation. Um, But the difference is when Republicans or conservatives are bludgeoned by things, they they try to make a counter argument. Yeah. When someone on the left, they, they try to cut off the source of information. They really are very different cultural approaches mm-hmm. to how you deal when you're hearing something that's disharmonious to what you already believe. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is that. And and I, I think it's an odd thing, too. I don't really use the word liberal much anymore because it doesn't mean what yeah, it used that, to. Yeah. That, is, that is fair. Yeah. Um, it, it turns out I have an acquaintance. Um, she's actually quite elderly. Um, was uh, a lawyer in her time, um, was very involved in the ACLU, uh-huh. very liberal, yeah. but she even laments saying, she's talking about, you know, as a, as a Jewish woman many, many years ago, she was fighting for the rights of people she just lied. That's what the despised. ACLU was in the business of, yeah, once upon she, a time. To be yeah. able to have a voice. Yeah. And she says the organization she helped and volunteered to today would never stand up nope. and battle for um, you or me, that. probably. And, yeah. and, 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 and that's actually, so she's a classic liberal. Yeah, yeah. You know, but that also means, you know, um, a certain love of the elegance of the Constitution. Let, let me let me pause. Do you have time for a second segment? Like can, can I take a oh, quick? Sure. Yeah, because what I'd love to talk to you about um, on the other side of this break, you can obviously finish that thought as well, but I think this merges into it. You know, there were an awful lot of Democrats on social media over the last six to eight to ten months saying, I'll never vote for Democrats again. David, you know, you're like me. I want them. I want them to vote for us. I want them to join the R side. I'd love to think out loud with you about how we best do that, too. I'm Seth Leibson. He's David Schweikert. And we will be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Congressman David Schweikert is our guest. Uh, heading into Thanksgiving, a little bit of politics, David. Um, feel free to either finish up what you were talking about or, or think with me through this point. I, I think I don't want to lose, and I'm worried that we are because we move so fast these days. I was just noticing over the last year on social media, a lot of Democrats said they will just never vote for the Democratic Party again. A lot of it had to do with shutdown stuff and COVID stuff. A lot of it had to do with some of the education nonsense that they were seeing and um, the way they were treated for raising objections to it. And, you know, it seems to me a healthy part of the Republican Party or the conservative movement ought to think about how do we get them over to our side? How do we capture them? How do we... How do we get these these uh, disaffected Democrats? Because I don't think we did a great job, actually, this year, um, two weeks oh, ago. No, no, we did a pathetic job. Okay. Um, but uh, I'm going to make an argument that the more elegant half okay. is those folks who really aren't aligned at all. Okay. Because um, a disaffected Democrat functions as an independent. Um. And one of our great sins, and look, we're just, and as I promised you, it's going to take us three weeks a month to do an honest, deep dive post-mortem on yeah, this last election. Yeah, you did. It, it doesn't, you know, these clowns that say, I know what happened. Yeah. Well, you can see some of the top-line numbers, but we're out collecting different polls and buying some of the exit polling data and all this other yeah. stuff and building maps. And it takes a while because we're already seeing some differentiation between income of precincts and all so, so there's more to it you know why did this precinct vote this way for Terry Lake but this way for Schweikers yeah. and those sorts yeah. of things uh-huh. and we're seeing some income differential education differential but if you and I want to persuade people that our cause is honorable maybe we need to talk about what they need yeah what their family's concerns are so if your family out there is just struggling to be able to pay for gas and groceries. And as conservatives, let's talk about our plans on how we will make your life better in surviving inflation and surviving just the cost of raising your family. Instead, we had far too many people who could not stop themselves on talking about what they cared about. Um, Instead of, we did not demonstrate, we care about you. You know, you're an independent voter, you're a swing voter, you're willing to give conservatives a look, and that's not traditionally where you've been. But give us a look because we're actually talking about your needs, your concerns, your interests. And we had far too many of our candidates who basically lived in an echo chamber, and we talked about what we as conservatives like to talk about instead of our the voters we needed. Let me pause you there for a sec, if I might, David, um, because you won re-election in what was a tougher district after redistricting, a much tougher in the sense that it wasn't uh, that it was much more blended. It wasn't it wasn't a sure thing. Republican district uh, uh, that that fairly or unfairly has been described as what you had before that. And you won. It's it had been a while. It has been a while since I was at a speech of yours or an event of yours. What what did you open up with in this district when you started giving a talk to a group? What, how did you start it? What I'm not asking for a recital of it, your stump very, speech, but you get my point. No, no, no. But it's very simple. Um, now, and because this is a personal fixation I have, is um, is growth moral? Uh huh. Is is 
<laughs> you went straight to philosophy. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, I went some ways um, straight to policy and demonstrating that that policy actually could make your family's life better. Okay. Um, the homeless person living in the alley behind your house, mm-hmm. the child down the street dying of fent- or, or overdosing on fentanyl, mm-hmm. that's a derivative of opening the border mm-hmm. policy. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact inflation, the fact you, you're getting poor every day, particularly if you live here in our community where we're the epicenter of inflation, um, that's the moral. And it turns out that Congress and many of the policies we make, we can, we can make your life more miserable or we can make it a hell of a lot better. You connected dots. You connected yeah. dots. You wedded policy to the problems that a lot of people just kind of don't always think of as the same thing. Oddly enough, in our business, we do, but not everyone does, right? And um, because it didn't sound like every other person who's, I'm still mad about the 2020 election, or I'm still mad about this. Being mad, you have every right to be mad. There's a lot of crappy things out there. Does any point in that being mad convince a swing voter that you care about them? Not only that, but David, um, you know, the anger we are told, anger we are told is a bad motivator generally in any decision in our lives, in our business, in our work, uh, in our relationship. Almost always it's a bad motivation. Yeah, look, we know fear is very powerful in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's like the study says if I give you a dollar, um, you you value it as a dollar, but if I take a dollar away from you, you value it almost emotionally like it was two dollars. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the value, theft of something greater than loss. a dollar. Right, right, sure. Yeah, we value loss much more, mm-hmm. and that's why the Democrats did such a brilliant job of trying to make us scary. You know, um, they're going to take away democracy. Yeah, they're going to yeah, take away, yeah. and we're busy. We played into them. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in so many races. Um, and if you actually see our mail and things we did, we're tough. We, we play rough, you know, because you got to cut through a lot of noise. But we tried to focus on um, here's what we do, here's what uh, our opponent would do. David, I think that. Um I think that how we think about this in the next uh, two, three months is going to be super important. Um, I want to thank you for calling in right before Thanksgiving. I want to wish you and your family a happy and safe Thanksgiving and uh, look forward to analyzing this stuff with you more as we go forward, sir. All right. Take care, sir. All right, brother. Thank you. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Portions of the show are brought to you by Bingo Reverse Mortgage. With inflation slamming retirees and throwing retirement budgets into chaos, with inflation at a 40-year high and the dollar not going as far as it did just months ago, gas prices still high, grocery prices still increasing since this summer, aging adults are struggling to make ends meet. A Bingo Reverse Mortgage could be the safety net you need to get through these hard times by allowing you to convert the equity in your home into cash. A bingo reverse mortgage can put more money in your pocket for living expenses, help you fight inflation, make your investments last longer, and give you the security in your retirement that you deserve. Call the veteran-owned and veteran-staffed bingo team at 928-277-4476. That's 928-277-4476. 
or visit bingoreversemortgage.com. Tell them I sent you and get a reimbursement for the free appraisal, a $1,000 value. John in Peoria. Hi, John. Hello, Seth. How are you? I am well, sir. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes, happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, It's been a while, and you know what I was dealing with, but thank God uh, my brother-in-law is recovering well. I'm glad to hear it, and thank you for your generosity on those tickets to our audience, too, sir. That was my pleasure. Hey, listen, do me a favor. Explain to me, and I'm so happy because you had her on the radio several times, and I heard you talk to her. Rachel Mitchell, if, if that's our consolation prize, that's a great yeah, consolation Yeah, you bet, prize. you bet, you bet, yeah. Well, how Mitchell. did she do it based on everything that we've seen? What You know, how did she do it, you know? There's that's a, what I want yeah, to know. Yeah, well. Did she beat her? Yeah, sure, sure. No, she, she did really well. Handily. Yeah, no, she did really well. Uh, listen, I think, first of all, uh, let me give you let me give you a, 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 a sample of how well she did. She gained nearly twenty three twenty three thousand more votes than uh, Carrie Lake, even though about seventy nine thousand fewer people voted in that race at all. Um, I, I, she, Rachel is a serious person. Julie Gunnigal, her opponent, was not. She was a leftist socialist. Um, Rachel uh, had the benefit of really doing a very wide media tour. She spent a lot of time on shows like this. She showed up everywhere she was asked. I saw her in small rooms. I saw her in big rooms. Um, I saw her saying yes to uh, organizations like our own when we invited her, the one you couldn't come to. She couldn't say yes fast enough. She showed up. Other candidates didn't. They took a lot of people for granted. She took no vote for granted, and she worked hard. Uh, there was no drama in her race or in her candidacy at all. She was sincere. Um, that's how she did it. And she spoke to, I mean, the issues that we always spoke about in this campaign, which were the most serious facing uh, us as to whether we were going to become San Francisco, Seattle and Portland and Chicago or whether we were going to stay Maricopa County in Phoenix. The crime, the quality of life, the drugs the kinds of socialist nonsense that had ruined cities she attacked head-on and had the background and career to prove that she could and would, and she did. Thanks, John. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. As promised, uh, everyone, and as we do every Wednesday, we check in with Brett Johnson. He is a uh, partner with the law firm of Snell and Wilmer, offices uh, headquartered here in Phoenix, but across the country. He is our election and constitutional law expert. He is a lot of people's election and constitutional law expert. Well deserved, Brett. Thanks for being with us. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me, and uh, and uh, premature happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, and happy Thanksgiving to you and Heather and the family as well. Um, okay, Brett, so the big question that keeps coming up with all the uh, downwash from what transpired two Tuesdays ago, two Tuesdays ago, um, Election Day, 
is... Feels like two years ago. I know, I know, and it's probably going to keep you busy for the next two years. But <laughs> in any event, um, in any event, uh, Brett, the, the thing we keep reading about and hearing about over here in, in the papers and online is that there there's, there's a need to redo the election, redo the election that we did on November, I guess, November 8th. And I wanted to ask you, it's it sounds unprecedented in Arizona. I don't know if it is unprecedented in Arizona, but the truth is it does happen or take place in other – there have been examples of this, at least as, as I've been able to follow, in other jurisdictions and other states. I wonder if you might just walk us through that and, 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 and tell us about the contours of that. Sure, and, and no problem. And, and don't don't get me wrong. I mean, this is this is a common, especially in a democracy, and you want your elections to be run fairly. And and um, the, the the right to vote is you know a fundamental right underneath the Constitution, both um, the state constitutions as well as, of course, the United States Constitution. Um, and there's a ton of federal law at issue. There's a ton of state law at always issue. And because when you're working in that framework and there, and there are discrepancies or, um, or outright fraud, then there are, there are obviously mechanisms that the judiciary can step in and order, um, basically a new election. But again, extremely, extremely rare. And in my quick look, we did find a few examples. Um, give you one for example was that Barber versus Gone that was in uh, a Mississippi type case and and that's where they just completely messed up the election wrong voting lines uh, where you know the precincts of where the representative was going to be um, decided from and there was a ba- it was also a primary election so basically what the court in that case and then in subsequent cases as being the standard is that if it's so pervasive and it is so bad that it impacts the election, one of the remedies that is possibly available is to redo an election um, to ensure that, that overwhelmingly voters are not disenfranchised. Again, extremely rare. What usually happens is that different votes are identified, and then the judge is very selective in ensuring that votes that are, are identified that can be um, then processed and put into the rest of the canvas or taken away. I mean, that's obviously another one. If a, if one of the, the main grounds across the United States is that somebody voted illegally. They, they were not entitled to, to vote in that election or they failed to follow the correct process. Uh, voter identification, somebody not living in a state. In Arizona, you didn't properly sign the ballot. Um, those would all be considered illegal votes, and you could have those withdrawn from the tally. And literally, the judge does a mathematical equation and comes to a determination at the end as to whether or not um, uh, the, the state or the county can go forward with certifying the election results. So, Brett, you remember when we both wore younger men's clothes, the 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 the, the goings on in Florida after the 2000 election. And there was that picture of that one guy with the magnifying glass. It was all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that kind of I don't know that he was a judge particularly. I think he was an election official. But is that the kind of thing that they're trying to do when they're trying to determine what a ballot said or what a vote voters intent was with about that? It's that kind of action. Okay. Right. That, that's the absolute, and that's in modern times, that's the case that everybody um, points to is for equal protection and to ensure that your vote is counting. It's Gore versus Bush. And remember the guy with the big eye, for sure. That, and that was dealing with the hanging chat. Right. And what Gore did, Gore, a lot of people forget this, Gore won 
at the Florida Supreme Court. He was trying to get about 3,000 votes to be counted. He only needed, I think, a little bit over 500 to win. And what the court said is, yes, you need to, because they were doing the punch at the time, and people of our age will remember that, is that you went into the ballot box and you actually punched through a hole. Well, and when they did that, and sometimes in the Florida case, it actually punched through a hole, but you voted for Gore. And you voted for Buchanan, right? <laughs> so that was right. that was the interesting part. And and what the court, uh, Florida Supreme Court, said is you need to go back and look at those three thousand and and deal with the hanging Chad situation that that, that individual counties were already dealing with. The U.S. Supreme Court, though, came out and, and again, elections there is a time constraint; they have to be done by a certain period of time. And in that case, the U.S. Supreme Court said, Florida, we hear what you're saying, but you ran out of time. You needed to do this a lot faster. So, so ironically, we're all talking about time and yeah. speed for elections, and that was the reason why the U.S. Supreme Court um, basically said, you have to have it done by this day. The next day, Al Gore um, conceded the race. Okay, so that was a lesser uh, eventuation than a redo of an election, obviously. To get to a redo, Correct. right. So to get to a redo of an election, let's say here, if I'm following the case law on these uh, few cases, it, it can be, it can happen. Do I have the test right where the will of the voters cannot be determined? You cannot determine what the will of the mass vote was. That's right. And that's, that's a pervasive, but it has to meet one of the different criteria. Okay. You can't just say, um, you know, we, we think that you can't determine what the will, you have to still fit it within different categories, and it has to be pervasive. And there has been cases, including in Arizona, where it, it's unfortunate. People's votes, you know, it's, it's very clear that they were disenfranchised, usually because um, a, an election official gave them bad guidance. Yeah. And in those circumstances, the judge said, uh, you know, Mr. So-and-so, that it's very unfortunate that that happened to you. However... Because you don't have enough votes to get over the threshold or cannot prove that, then we're not going to be able to, to ha- take any action on your, on your request. So one of the more recent ones was uh, uh, Ron Barber, who ran against McSally um, down in Tucson yeah. about almost, almost a decade ago now. Yeah. And that was one of the pivotal cases. And definitely the Democrats in that case showed that there were possibly some votes that should have been counted. The judge said, I might agree with you, but it's not going to make a difference. But it, you have to have that argument of, of a pervasive, and you're seeing that more and more, especially based off of uh, um, um, different different types of cases across the country um, at issue as to whether or not it's pervasive enough that the judge needs to take complete action, again, very rare, undo the election, or just count or uncount a certain amount of votes. Okay, so is it pervasive, kind of a Potter-Stewart test? I know it when I see it, or are there certain thresholds, I suppose? Um, what, what, it would be based on an argument of a candidate. It's a candidate. It, it's, pretty, it's pretty much so, so widespread that the election would turn. Okay, and then how, what is the, mechanic of it ha- the mechanics of it happening? Does a candidate, in our case maybe it would be a, a gubernatorial candidate or another candidate, do they have to bring, is that who brings the case to the, to the court? No, any anybody is allowed to bring up uh, to contest an election. A- any sure. election, so you don't. Yeah, I mean, it, it, as long yeah. as you're a, a qualified elector, yeah. you're you're allowed to to uh, to bring the action and contest the vote. Okay, and theoretically, a judge could order a redo. I suppose theoretically, that could be appealed. It would 
definitely be appealed. Okay. So it would go to, go, um, it depends on which action you're bringing. If you're bringing something underneath the U.S. Constitution and the attorneys decided to go to federal court, then obviously that would go just like Bush versus Gore would go up to uh, the U.S. Supreme Court. But again, just like uh, Gore versus Bush, it went up through also the Florida Supreme Court right. addressing similar issues. Right. And so there's there, but no matter what, on these types of cases, um, they they usually go up on a uh, on appeal and then to the to the Supreme Court and it's all on an expedited basis so the courts have procedures in place to ensure it's done correctly. So it goes now, through the state cases, court process. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, but, go ahead. Th- this is done in, in the context of a contest, yeah. which um, is also many cases, such as the McSally case, yeah. is done as part of a recount. Okay. And so you technically have a parallel case cases moving on. But regardless, you finally have a judge, a neutral judge, who's put in charge to try to, who's right here, where's the evidence, what's the facts, and then really developing a record for the Supreme Court to review. Okay, I gotcha. As of now, and I don't know if this is a fair question or not, as of now, do we know of a of a filing with a state court to redo the election as of, as of the moment we're talking right now? Do we know of such a filing? Yeah, so so the candidate for attorney general in Arizona, Abe Hamadon, has filed a, a lawsuit. I think that that came out last night, right? Um, and 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 seeking um, some some relief um, as to certain actions that happened okay. in the state of Arizona. Okay, so in the AG race, we are seeing at least that flow through the courts right now. That that's right, and okay. and um, a lot of that came from um, the attorney general, um, Mark Burnovich, yeah. um, has obviously sent a letter over yeah. to the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. So. Right. Um, you're seeing, hey, and in reality, no matter what it is, I mean, we, we live in a democracy. There's three three branches of government. Right. We, we trust our judges. We trust our court of appeals. And and to get out of necessarily the politics, although the you know legal law is politics too, is is you try to get in front of a judge who then is able to really collect the real data, yeah, right, make a determination on the evidence, and then move it up. And the idea for purposes of democracy, is that the matter is eventually resolved, maybe not in people's decisions, and quite honestly, most people leave a courthouse upset. Yeah, right. Uh, it, 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 it's supposed to provide that finality that we're able to move on and, and yeah. have trust in the system. It also provides an opportunity for our elected leaders in the future to say, you know, the judge found X, Y, and Z. It might not have been enough to overturn an election, but we need to fix this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a pathway or a roadmap for the legislature. Brett Johnson, as always, man, we thank you so much. So valuable, invaluable. Brett Johnson of the Snell & Waller Law Firm, SWLaw.com. Thanks, Brett. Thank you. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. As I uh, mentioned earlier, um, we're going to have Dr. William J. Bennett with us in our third hour. He is uh, just out with the 30th anniversary new and updated edition of the Book of Virtues. The virtues haven't changed. He just uh, has new commentary around them and some new stories, and we'll get his views on them and the need for a 30th edition. And so this issue of virtues, as we open the show and has kind of been the theme weaving itself throughout the show. I was thinking about it and listening to our interview with Brett Johnson and the elections and the dispute about our elections, the integrity of our elections, the import of them. And I was looking at, um, you know, the idea of honesty in our elections. 
good faith and fair dealing. You know, it's not just a business practice. It really should suffuse our democracy, which is the process by which we execute our Republican form of government. If we don't have faith and trust in it, we can't have faith and trust in our government. That's that's what's at issue here. Remember in the early part of the 2000s with Enron and all those other corporations, um, the issue was whether we could have faith in our corporations, whether we could have faith in our businesses and how important honesty was in that. We've been sliding downhill so rapidly that now it's about our own government, not just our institutions within it, like business. To be honest is to be real, genuine, authentic, and bona fide. To be dishonest is to be partly feigned, forged, fake, or fictitious, Bill writes in the, Dr. Bennett writes in the Book of Virtues. We talk about this show as having the three rules of platonic dialogue, uh, candor, intelligence, and goodwill. That would be a good thing for our elections going forward, too. All right, don't go away. We'll be right back. A lot more coming up. Dr. Bennett on the Book of Virtues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 